Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldscher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. Thank you for joining the Alts Podcast. Hope you're having a good one. Today's guest is Walter Ramirez, the Urban and Contemporary Art Consignment Director at Heritage Auctions. Today, Walter and I will talk about urban art, how it's defined, and how it continues to grow in popularity and demand among art collectors. Walter discusses his path toward working at Heritage, his interest in urban art, and his thoughts and observations as graffiti and NFTs move mainstream and embody the movement of a new art class. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Walter. Um, so I just kind of wanted to start. You were telling me that you had uh, just come back from from picking up some art. Was that for for uh, heritage or for your own like personal collection? So it's actually uh, I was picking up a consignment downtown Manhattan for um, our next uh, urban art auction that we're working on for our June auction. A couple of uh, pretty cool pieces, you know, two canvases and one metal sign uh, graffiti uh, piece. So it's pretty cool. I think that uh, the urban art scene is growing. I'm no expert, and kind of that's why we, we love having experts on, to, on the podcast to talk about what they do and, and, and what the trends are. You are the, uh, the urban art and contemporary art uh, consignment director at Heritage. What is that? What is urban art? How can we categorize that? And, and what, what are the different forms that it can take? So urban art you know, has become this sort of subcategory to contemporary art, usually encapsulates uh, urban culture, youth culture, you know, like more really contemporary art that's like in with the uh, the trends. Uh, you know, it's trendy. It's uh, almost poppy, uh, like pop art related. So, you know, there's different subgenres to urban art in itself. There's graffiti art, you know, the more classical graffiti art that we see in the streets. Artists who have been doing it since the 70s and 80s that will be, you know, classified under graffiti art, whereas, you know, street art is more like 90s thousands uh graffiti art but that has you know evolved into something else you know perfect example of this would be like shepherd ferry uh here in the united states or vils out in europe those would be like street artists uh who fall under the category of urban art and for graffiti art it would be artists like coke 2 cornbread uh taki 187 they are more graffiti artists who started out in the 80s and you know that early scene and they have a way different style than like, you know, the Shepherd Fairies or the Vils of these days. And then, of course, under the urban art umbrella, we also have uh, what we call ultra contemporary art, which is more of like the working artists such as Daniel Arsham, Koss, Javier Callea, those uh, type of artists who are doing this work that, you know, the collectors who collect street art, graffiti art are collecting as well. So... Urban art can be, you know, sort of a niche term, but at the moment it works for us in terms of like how we brand and classify this art and how we sell it. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think of urban art, right, because maybe what the words, you know, make me think of, I think of graffiti and I think of that kind of art and I was never really into that. Is that something that's kind of growing in terms of respectability or in terms of collectability? It is, especially more of like 
that old school graffiti uh, art is becoming popular nowadays. Just, you know, in our last sale, we had a Futura. He, you know, he started off as a graffiti artist and he evolved into like a more, you know, contemporary artist. Um, now he's really highly collected. We sold one work for 137000 So it tells you like, you know, the market is growing for this type of art. You know, people want more graffiti art. People want more urban art. And it's becoming more respected compared to what it was. You know, at one point it was seen as vandalism. But over the last 20 years, that has been starting to shift into like an actual art form. I saw that it was gaining uh, like acceptance or getting gaining popularity because there were some baseball cards like Tops put out this uh, Project 70 and Futura was one of the artists actually. And there were other, because uh, it's funny that you mentioned him, there were other artists and graffiti really played uh, a large theme in, in the collection. Uh, and I was surprised that that it, it did. I mean, I, I got exposed to like certain like art, like uh, I'm looking here, Claw Money, you know, she's, she's a New York based artist. Uh, basically just the, the graffiti was really prominent in the collection and uh, kind of like opened my eyes a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that project the Tops did was uh, a good way for them to, like, show, you know, more exposure for some of these artists. They're showing that, you know, they are actually artists who are becoming highly collectible. They're showing their appreciation for it. And that's one of the things that, you know, shows how the world is changing towards urban art. Museums nowadays, you know, they try to have major art exhibitions. Uh, Museum of the City of New York actually had an extremely well curated uh, auction called uh, City as a Canvas. And that was a major exhibition that just showed how graffiti is not just vandalism, you know, an art form that's going to be appreciated more and more as here comes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I got, I got a set of questions here. I'm, I'm just kind of curious if we could uh, take a step back and talk about you for a second. It seems like, you know, you've got a pretty cool job. You know, you're traveling around the city. You're, you're getting exposure to all these uh, artists and, and, and their creations, what they create. How did you get involved with Heritage Auctions? And how did you become sort of like an expert in urban art? You know, taking it back to how I started at Heritage Auctions, I started off as an intern, you know, worked my way through operations and, you know, eventually got the opportunity to become a specialist. Uh, it took, you know, a process of six years. I started back in 2014 and only became a specialist in 2020. So, you know, I've been doing this for a couple years now, and I've been helping bring in some large collections and all that. But my interest for urban art started, you know, as a young kid, uh, seeing graffiti, you know, around the city, collecting sneakers, uh, that type of stuff. Also being exposed to a lot of uh, graffiti documentaries early on. One of them was Exit Through the Gift Shop that uh, Banksy did which was based on um, Mr. Brainwash. So stuff like that exposed me early on. And I liked it a lot that I, you know, I started researching it and becoming more and more involved with the scene. And I started collecting myself. I started buying prints from artists like Shepard Ferry, Cleon Peterson, uh, more of like the affordable ones for, uh, at the time uh, for me. And I've been just getting bigger and bigger into the uh, scene. Yeah, for sure. I noticed that it's an auction up right now and Shepherd Ferry is kind of prominent right now. I didn't even know who the name was, you know, until I saw it was like Obey the Giant, Obey. And I remember seeing that when I was a kid, like in high school, middle school. And I was like, what is this Obey? And, it, you know, and it had Andre the Giant's, you know, kind of face. And, and, and you know, and it was just so, it played such a like a role in my in my upbringing without even knowing it. Like kids were wearing this all around me. I think that's just interesting how it's like the influence is around you. And sometimes you kind of like not even aware of it. It's true. I mean, when you think about it, 
Shepard Ferry, like his big moment was doing the Hope poster for Obama during the 2008 campaign. Since then, his like market blew up. He became, you know, considered like this big, like important artist in time. But he had been around for close to 20 years prior to that poster, campaign poster. And he was known, again, for the Obey Giant uh, posters that we saw as kids, uh, the clothing and everything. So he was always there, but his popularity didn't, you know, take off until that one moment in time. What have you noticed since you you started? You say you kind of became a specialist in 2020. Has there even been a change since, I say, maybe when you were an intern there, you noticed some things maybe in 2019, 2018, up until now? Has urban art uh, even evolved in that one uh, little small time period? Um, yeah. I mean, prior to 2018, we had no urban art department at Heritage Auctions. We, you know, it was just still considered part of the modern contemporary umbrella. And the, depart- and the department hadn't, like, split from that category. It, you know, hadn't become a category on its own. I credit uh, Leon Benramon, who, you know, used to work with Heritage. He was the one who, like, pushed forward this, you know, we got to have an urban art auction. And since he had the first urban art auction, we just started adding more and more sales ever since. And it's become one of the more, the fastest growing departments in Heritage Auctions. It's just, we started with one sale and now we have about 20 sales a year. Wow. So, I mean... What caused that change? You know, is it that that kids that that grew up and you like you said, you know, you grew up and you saw graffiti around the city, and for sure, some of these guys and girls are so talented. Is it now that you know our generation is coming of age and kind of having nostalgia for that and almost getting more appreciation for it, and now we can go back and buy some of this stuff that the market's kind of perking up? What do you credit the rise of graffiti as an art to or urban art? You know, definitely uh, pop culture. I feel like has a big influence on it. When you look at like, you know, music videos of like the era, or you look at album covers, they always like use like a graffiti artist. Uh, you know, Justin Bieber had you know on his uh, in one of his covers, he used the artwork of Retina, and Retina is a big graffiti artist out in LA. We you know we have the world record for his work at auction, so it's definitely been helped by a lot of pop culture, a lot of. Uh, us who like saw it as young kids also now really want these pieces now that we are you know working that we're you know we just want to own art just like our parents did or you know other people in the past have done and the best way to go about it is to buy things we like and you know we like things with you know cartoon characters from the 90s like you know i would go out and buy a painting that has spongebob on it you know even though uh you know most people probably say oh why are you buying that but it's like, that's what I like. You know, I like I grew up watching Spongebob. You know, that's what I want to have in my house. So definitely pop culture has helped a lot of that. And like urban art has that crossover with pop culture itself. A lot of graffiti artists, a lot of street artists, they use all these characters in their paintings, their prints, their vinyl figures. And in the end, it's like, oh, I want that. I want that in my office. I want that in my house. I want that in by my TV. For sure. And, you know, we always talk about the emergence of new markets, but I'm wondering if to some extent you also get a, a pushback, you know, to where maybe it's uh, the, the older generation or even 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 not, you know, just somebody that doesn't believe in urban art as, as a class. Do you still find that sometimes being a heritage, being, you know, where you guys are, are auctioning off uh, pieces from different you know eras and, and how does urban art stack up against that? Do you ever get like a like being like, that's not art? We do. I mean, when you think about it, uh, mostly 
most contemporary art does get that from you know different departments. Uh, some people will look at uh, you know a Jackson Pollock and will say that's not art. You know, at Heritage Auctions we have a big comic art department, and we have you know we sell some of these pieces for millions of dollars, and so people are like that's not art, but it is art. In the end, it's like you know an artist sat down and put work into it. So there's always pushback uh, on you know diff- you know different generations, different experts you could say uh who are like oh i don't see this as art but you know as long as somebody's seeing it as art it is art for sure i kind of want to cross that over into i guess maybe something that's the most controversial form of art right now which is nfts right where it's like you know people are you're buying jpegs you're buying jpegs and 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 you know but other people who are in the in the space say like we're going to be studying a lot of it, not every single project, right? But a lot of these uh, images, we're going to be studying them and, and they're going to go down in art history books. Is that kind of it? Is that the appeal of NFTs? Is it that we're really looking at urban art in a new sort of, in a new format, you know, a digital format? I think so. When you look back, you know, everything can be, you know, you could even say is like the evolution of art in itself. You know, Impressionism was hated on when it was happening. Dadaism, Cubism, all these isms you know in the early uh, 20th century were always looked down upon as you know lesser art nowadays you know some people look at urban art as lesser art and at the moment the one that's getting a lot of hate from a lot of uh you know so-called art collectors and everything is our nfts because it's just something that, that they don't see as art even though it is you know it is art uh it's digital art but it is it is art you know it's like it's all based on, you know, of course, the blockchain. So it's easier to authenticate. It's easier to uh, prove the provenance and all, you know, which is a big thing in art. So NFTs, you know, we consider them part of our, our art department. We do sell some NFTs and some of our sales. But NFT is definitely an evolving contemporary art form. You know, like it is the next step to urban art in a sense. And a lot of uh, urban art artists themselves are working in the space. They are, you know, always producing new uh, new NFTs. They are working on big projects. Uh, so it is definitely uh, like the next medium for them to do. What are your thoughts on on that? Like as a as a as a consignment director, right? Do you find that when it comes to urban art, people are still looking to get the physical items, or are you looking like in a like NFTs are slowly creeping up to where it might become its own department at Heritage. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas there. Like, how have NFTs changed the game, I guess? They have certainly changed the game in, in the sense that, like, it cuts a lot of the operations of, you know, that middle section, like shipping something, photographing it, you know, physically holding an item. It has definitely changed that. Like, now we could just look at the, uh, the description online. You know, it's almost like a copy and paste in the end. That has definitely uh, changed the operation sides of it. Some people do, you know, they are still, you know, really stuck on the uh, the physical aspect of it. Some people like when uh, an NFT has like a physical like token. Uh, we have sold a couple of beeples before, and they had like the physical token, which is like this little screen that you can see the uh, the image moving and and it has all the information there. People like that, and I think that is a strong selling point right now for. NFTs, but some people are seeing that, oh, this is not really necessary and they are getting more and more into it. You know, there are a lot of like projects that are not worth as much as like 
you know, as they should be. But people really, uh, like, especially people who have been, like, working on this platform for a long time, they're the ones people are looking at. They're looking at the big projects like uh, the CryptoPunks, the Boar Apes, the Mutant Apes, all that stuff. Those are the ones that people are like, we don't need the, uh, the physical attribute that comes with it. We just need to own one. And it becomes also a social status at one point. Yeah, for sure. It's a big time flex when you are able to show one of those as your PFP, right? As like your profile picture. Mm-hmm. I'm taking it back. You know, to me, the, the guy that embodies urban art is Banksy. And, and part of that is, is because also like he uh, is so like m- kind of mysterious, right? Like we don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's ever been a picture taken of Banksy. <laughs> I don't know if, if that's accurate or not. I guess the one thing that I'm, I'm kind of thinking of is he goes around, right? And he, he kind of does his art on walls, on buildings, and they get discovered the next day. And I think that's like so magical. It's almost like fairy tale like. And then I've seen where, you know, the owners of those buildings have literally torn down, not torn down the wall, but they've, you know, they cut that section of the wall out and then it gets transferred to whatever, to a museum or to an auction house. I'm wondering like, what's the thought behind that? Like, does a Banksy belong like that? Like, does that belong out in the wild? Or at this point, does it need to be taken care of? You know, that has always been like a, a controversial thing in the, you know, urban art world. Uh, when people take a piece from you know, the wild, uh, the public space, and they try to sell it. Uh, we, you know, at Heritage, we, you know, whenever we do get, like, you know, an inquiry about that, we usually pass on it, we turn it down, because those pieces were not meant to be, you know, in a private space. They were not meant to uh, be sold. To, you know, they were supposed to be out there for the world to see, and that's the mentality behind it. Like, uh, we don't want to be known for, oh, you know, People are just taking those off the walls out of New York, like an invader or a Banksy, and they are selling them. Uh, you know, it doesn't look good. So we definitely try to avoid those. And we are, you know, in the belief that these works need to be in the streets. You know, the artists, you know, put in that work for it to be viewed by everybody. It could be accessible by everybody. So it should be out there. Um, if it's taken to a museum, it's a little different. But, you know, again, a lot of like the people who like, take these um, from the buildings usually are trying to sell them just because you know they got they got lucky with that uh you know that they were randomly chosen and a lot of these artists also uh they make one also for private sale so it's not like you know that's like that one's supposed to be meant for the space and then there's supposed to be one for the private market invader is one of them like he you know does his invasions but he also has like the pieces that are accessible to collectors. That's so so interesting to me as an auction house. And I hope you don't get offended, Walter. Like, I would imagine that you guys would be like, yes, we're going to make millions of dollars off this Banksy. Not saying that you guys are greedy or anything, but that that would draw a lot of attention. You know, that that would maybe also lift up some other auctions that are in the same, you know, in the same kind of sales. I find that really interesting that you guys take that position. I think most large auction houses do. You know, these pieces, you know, when somebody brings it to us, they're defacing sometimes public property in order to like take it down, even though sometimes they do take it from their own building. Uh, it's still, you know, it's not a good look in the sense of like selling something just taken off the street. That's just, you know, has been the mentality for, you know, the big auction houses like us, Sotheby's Christie's. I never seen them sell any of these Phillips. So I have seen it in the market before and it usually tends to be, you know, some are, our smaller competitors, they uh, they definitely uh, have done it in the past, but it's definitely, they get called out on it 
uh, in especially the uh, urban art uh, boards, people are discussing it. They're like, oh, that is not cool. That's sort of disgusting. Those are like some of the words that they have used in the past. And we try not to be on that boat as, you know, even though we would, why not? We, you know, it's like we could easily make, you know, a million dollars off one of them. We don't want to be known as like, oh, they sold one that was taken off the wall 10 years ago and we haven't been able to see it because the owner got greedy or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Could you talk a little bit, you know, about the the ownership? Like, so if an artist is out and uses a, a you know, public space to, to do graffiti, do they retain the rights to that? Say somebody does want to, you know, cut out that section of the wall or they even want to like, I saw somehow there's a uh, methods now where you can actually like take a lot of that, that paint and kind of put it onto another uh, surface that you can copy the graffiti. But do the artists retain like the rights to that? I don't think so. It's a complicated world uh, when it comes to that. The image is still the artist's image, but since they did it on a space that's public, it belong, belongs to the public or on a private property, it belongs to that, you know, who owns it. So it's definitely the artists, they don't argue when it's taken down. They don't argue when people try to sell it. Because they know, you know, they did it as an, you know, what, what some people call vandalism or invasion of uh, others' property. So they sort of did them a favor by providing something that, you know, sort of an asset to them. But, uh, you know, in the end, it, it is vandalism. You know, like uh, Banksy vandalized the house and, you know, that house, they can now make money off of it as sort of like, now that I have to take down this wall because he ruined it, I you know he, I might as well get paid for it. That's how they see it sometimes. Also, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's it's the the world's most valuable vandalized wall. Are we still in a discovery phase with urban art? And, and what I mean by that is like, have have there been situations where there have been certain artists that have, are kind of like the the you know for lack of a better term the the flavor of the day, right? The flavor of the week. Like they're in style, and then. I don't know, a couple of years later, a different kind of style catches people's attention. And then these other artists kind of fall by the wayside. Is that the case? Or or is it the case to where once a, an artist reaches a certain uh, status, they kind of stay there? I think, you know, is this evolving and revolving uh, art world uh, or category where artists are always rediscovering themselves. They always adapt to change. So if uh, style has become, you know, a little bit more popular, some artists do adapt to it. They uh, they definitely try to follow the trends. There are some who like stay with it, but like a lot of them, you know, are always looking to evolve. Uh, that's for sure. You know, this discovery phase of urban art is always there. Every year we find a new artist, a new style, like we didn't think was there, and all of a sudden that gets popular and people want that, and then all of a sudden everybody else starts doing it. So and. You can see that with the NFT. As soon as NFTs blew up, everybody started doing NFTs. In a sense, uh, a lot of these uh, artists, uh, you mean you can even see Damien Hurst is a big name who started doing these NFTs, and he has been just you know crushing it with it, as the kids say nowadays. And uh, a lot of these artists, Matt Gondek, Shepard Ferry, they all have dabbled into it and made a killing as well because it's that discovery phase for them and for the collectors, they're like, you know, oh, there's a new work they're doing, I want it. Or there's the thing that people are buying now, I want to do that. That's how we see it. I guess kind of like related to that, and one of my 
last question is like, what is your day-to-day like in terms of like discovering artists, noticing trends? Are you going to like galleries in the city? Are you getting phone calls? Are you going to shows at night kind of where there's different artists kind of displaying their, um, their art? Because there are so many talented artists out there, right? And there's so many different uh, ways of expressing that art. How do you go about like really identifying who's kind of catching on and who maybe might be somebody that you would have in, in your auctions? So there's always, you know, a challenge to see who's like the next big artist. But, we you know, we try to be involved with the art community. We at least, you know, at the level as much as we can, you know, we could go and see the shows here in New York easily or in the tri-state area going anywhere else. Like, you know, going to Japan, see who's hot over there at the moment. It's a little harder, but we do have other tools that we use, such as social media, uh, you know, reading articles, uh, you know, reading gallery reviews, art show reviews, seeing, you know, who is being sold at international auction houses, you know, and if it's something we can sell and we just look at a lot of these different things just to see what is next, what is the next big, uh, big thing, who is hot at the moment, you know, who is, you know, cooling down also, you know, that's one thing we always look at. Oh, is this artist soft at the moment? You know, haven't seen or heard anything about them or their market has gone down. It's like, you know, we want to be a little cautious also about that because we don't want to be, you know, doing a terrible thing for, some of our consigners just taking something in just to take it in. And then all of a sudden it just sells for one bid and they get angry at us. It was like, we let them know the market is soft at the moment. This is what you can, you can expect. You know, we don't want to, we want to be as transparent as we can uh, in that sense. But, you know, looking for new artists is always a, a challenge, but it's always a fun challenge. You know, it's like, oh, we get to go see a show downtown uh, at, X, you know, and meet some cool people. So then we hear who they're buying also, you know, it's like we also talk to clients themselves, like, oh, who are you buying now? And then we get an idea of like, who are people looking at? I imagine that in some ways, you know, not not as a commentary, but it's almost you really have to have as an artist, either uh, a really, uh, you know, meaningful style or a style that really hits people. And in some ways, maybe you need to also be somewhat connected, right? I mean, because all it takes is that one buyer that kind of will pay a certain amount of money for your work to kind of get your name out there. Am I in the right ballpark there or, or no? <laughs> it's a mixture of everything, you know. If you have the right talent, you know, you could easily, you know, take off and, you know, do it big. But it does take at least to have a good backer, a good support, you know, system. If you have a good uh, gallery or a good, uh, you know, person who's sponsoring you, they're going to like, you know, make sure your artwork gets bought and, they will do a good job of it, at it, and then next thing you know, you're you know you're making thousands and hundreds of thousands selling artwork. So it is true, you know, if you have that one buyer who's like almost funds your initial run, then I think you you know you could definitely make it big. A lot of artists start that way. They have a couple of people who like buy like 10, 15 artworks when they're like just starting off, and that funds their whole project of like getting a studio running, getting a couple of assistants, expanding to galleries, expanding to other states, other cities, and, you know, trying to get into also the popular world out there, like pop TV, all that stuff. You know, if you get onto a show, if one of your artworks is collected by a celebrity, boom, you know, everybody's looking for that. They're like, oh, I see an artwork by so-and-so. I want that now. And then they do the research. And next thing you know, your prices go up. Your demand goes up, and yeah, it just takes that one backer or one client for you to like really blow up. 
That's so interesting. So cool. Walter, I got two more quick questions. Really appreciate your time. It's kind of a big picture question. You know, so what basically, I mean, you've described a lot of the aspects of your job. What would you say is like the coolest part of your job? What's your favorite part of the job, either on a day-to-day basis or just like when you're able to do something special every so often? I think just being in the office that I'm at is, you know, one of the best things of this job because even though I'm, you know, I'm in the urban art department, I get to see art I like a lot. I also get to see other departments such as our sports collectibles they come through our office so i get to see signed baseballs by some of my favorite players uh from the 90s or the thousands uh i get to see comic art and comic books i get to see american art i get to see handbags which i'm not a big collector but i'm a fan of like seeing them like hermes bags you know you get to see the craftsmanship of this i think that's one of the best parts of the job just being able to see everything that people are collecting and sometimes trying uh, seeing these interesting, weird niche things. At one point, we had Lincoln's hair come through our office, and you know, seeing something like that, you're like, that is super cool, but a little bit weird that people are like are buying hair. But it is a historical thing, so I get it. But yeah, I think that's definitely the the best part of the job. Man, hair is not so bad. <laughs> I've seen some stuff at auctions where I'm like, that is cringy, man. Uh, and I, I'm not gonna name it because I just don't want to be like it dealt like with tragic, you know, events. And I'm just like, who wants a piece of that? And sure enough, you know, somebody will buy that. It's true. You know, if you collect something and you think it's unique, the chances are somebody else is collecting it out there, you know, as morbid and, and, you know, it can be, there's somebody else who's like doing it out there. So there's always a market for anything. And, you know, some things, you know, are frowned upon, of course. And there are things I myself frown upon. It sells, you know, it's somebody's out there who wants it and somebody who's, willing to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, and I, I don't mean to come off <laughs> as preachy or anything. I'm just like, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess, you know, you can't help but put yourself in that position. Like, I don't know if I'd be comfortable owning this, you know, but like you said, Hey, you know, there are collectors of every, every kind out there. And so who am I to say, Hey, there shouldn't be a market for that or whatever. And I guess the last question then would be heritage auctions. Like you said, the, the urban art department was, you know, a couple years old, about four years old. Where do you see it taking off? You know, where do you see uh, the department being in, in four or five years and, and maybe your role in it? I can see it like definitely growing even more than, you know, than it has in the last four years. I can see it still be successful. It's something that people always want to buy. People always want to have your vinyl toys. People want to collect sneakers, you know, so we're, we're definitely going to be expanding more. I feel that we are definitely going to add more to the category, like sell more NFTs in the future, definitely sell more sneakers in the future, like one thing I would really like, like to do is like, you know, maybe in the future do like a hip hop auction. Uh, I know uh, some other auction houses have already done it, but I would like to do it. You know, that would be a cool thing to do. Trying to, you know, bring something from my you know childhood to the world. Like, oh, you know, these are the artists who sometimes are a bit obscure to some other people. But that type of uh, material will be something that we will, I will personally like to expand upon, you know, heritage. Uh, but it's definitely... It's going to be a work in progress, but for sure, I can, you know, I see the department, you know, become more successful, just bringing in more high quality consignments at the moment. You know, we are running about 20 auctions. So maybe in like three or four years, we might be running 40 auctions if, you know, our success continues at the rate that it's going. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, I like, I like hearing like, you know, putting in your own kind of style into the auctions, right? Like you being able to curate an auction would be really cool, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we are, you know, starting to do. We, you know, we do a lot of curated auctions. Uh, they're smaller, but 
they're definitely been popular in the past. Like we did like a Banksy auction, like a Banksy only auction. We did the Shepherd Ferry auction that you saw online. Um, we also have had a couple like bare brick auctions and stuff like that. So it's something that we have the capabilities of doing. We just got to bring it to a, a wider world. For sure. Uh, Walter, how can people uh, connect with you or the urban art department at, at Heritage? Do you guys have like a social media account that people can uh, can contact you? We do. Our social media account is Heritage Urban Art or Instagram. People could easily email me at walterr at ha.com. That's always a good way to reach out to me. If they're in New York, uh, you can stop at the office. Uh, we're on Park Avenue, uh, 405 Park Avenue. So that's you know a good way to, to like stop by and see if you have anything on display. So there's many ways you could uh, access us. Our website is ha.com, pretty simple, hot.com. I'm a fan of the uh, the short website, you know, two letters, perfect, you know. There's power in that for sure. Exactly. Uh, you know, at one point we were selling uh, domain names. We still have that department, but, uh, you know, we still do them. But, we, you know, the shorter the domain, the more popular it was. So, you know, it's always been, you know, a trend I've seen in the past. And I'm like, you know what? I appreciate that. You know, short domains are a thing. I'm I'm all for it. It's funny. Uh, my previous podcast was was with uh, Victor Ma, and he's actually uh, he sold uh, he sold our company that domain name alts.co, and he was talking about exactly that, like how the short domain names are are almost like they're OGs. They're like because those are the first to go whenever they're available, right? Those those short one word domain names are the are what people are going to claim first. So if you're able to do that, it's all again all, almost like a like an online flex. It's like hey, I got this, and you don't. In the same way that uh, an NFT is, you know, and that, that people are like, look at me, I got a board ape, you know? <laughs> so I found that so interesting. I found that the crossover between NFTs and domain names, it's almost like they're their own ways of, of flexing your status online. Walter, thank you for taking the time to, to, to talk. It was, it was a pleasure. Uh, Walter Ramirez, he's the uh, Urban Art and Contemporary Art Consignment Director at Heritage Auctions. Walter, thanks for coming on and hopefully we can, we can talk uh, at some other point in time. Thank you, Horacio. It was great, you know, talking with you, a fellow New Yorker, actually, uh, which is uh, pretty cool. I, you know, uh, you're right over the river. You know, I have a lot of family in Staten Island, so it's pretty cool to, you know, see that uh, a fellow Staten Islander. Yeah. Oh, okay. I appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Staten Island, man. Pete Davidson, Colin Jost, putting us on the map, too, man. Exactly. And Wu-Tang Clan. Can't forget them. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take care, man. Thank you. The enduring image I have is of Walter growing up in New York City walking by walls with graffiti, the very art that has played a part in defining his career. It was also interesting to hear the thought process behind not taking on certain artworks, like Banksy's, that were removed from public spaces. It was encouraging to hear Walter talk so positively about NFTs as works of art and the disruption they are causing in the art world because of the technology and the ease with which they can be curated. No more getting on the subway with somebody else's expensive piece of artwork. Urban art is, I think, meant for the enjoyment of the masses and not just a select few. Thanks again for spending part of your day with Alts. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, let others know about this episode or others, or leave a review or a comment, hopefully a positive one. Until the next episode, take care.